What's going on everybody? This is Carson, also known as Mets Fan from YouTube. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. So even though the Phillies are dominating in the playoffs, I still can't help but laugh at the fact that they gave Taiwan Walker $73 million just to be a cheerleader for the entire postseason. See, Frank, you notice how only good pitchers end up pitching in the postseason? I was in agreement that he was overpaid big time. I mean, we all agreed on that part. Just checking. What about Ke- Craig Kimbrell choking up back-to-back? Uh... Hey, man, things still look fine. I mean, you're not paying the guy for what he did 10 years ago. I mean, you're paying him for now. All I'm hearing is excuses. Mets Weekly Podcast, episode number 30, 60 Minutes, Brutal Honesty, Intro Plate. So you guys know the drill by now for those of you listening on our multiple available platforms, watching on Premiere or watching on Playback. Make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly YouTube channel and turn on those post notifications to never miss the premiere of the Mets Weekly podcast every single week, along with instant live streams for breaking news this offseason. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and all of our individual links that are in the description so we are currently just awaiting the next move for the Mets as of right now there's not really much the Mets can do because the postseason is still going but there are some we're just kind of waiting for that next big move under David Stearns they're still waiting on the postseason to fully wrap up before they could do anything too significant you know we saw some of the guys that they uh, got rid of as far as those non-tenor candidates that we talked about uh, last week we saw some of those guys go so uh, it's also a good start, uh, but right now it's going to be mostly rumors because they're really not allowed to do anything crazy quite yet. Opening up some 40-man roster spots as we expect them to be active in free agency, getting guys non-tendered. Surprisingly, well, we heard some teams rumored for coaching options. We've seen a guy, well, Venerable's already turned them down, so you're starting to see that coming out. But again, we're just waiting for the Astros just to win their 57th World Series so we can get this over with. So we can get to work. That's seven consecutive appearances in the American League Championship Series for the Astros. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to get to that height one day? That would be nice to have that type of sustainable success. Well, going to take a while for that, but let's figure out how we can do it. And that starts with the top story of this week, which is, of course, the Mets manager search. They are still looking for a new manager, but we have gotten some updates on the story and here they are. John Haven reported that the Mets are expected to hire an external option, implying that the rumored candidacy of bench coach Eric Chavez and now Mets associate Carlos Beltran as unlikely hires as the Mets next manager. Sources closer to David Stearns insist that he is truly serious about considering a first-time manager for the position if free agent Brewers manager Craig Consul is not interested in joining the Mets. Other sources with the Brewers believe that Consul will most likely stay with Milwaukee, but is willing to listen to other offers if the price is right. Another name mentioned recently has been the emergence of Blue Jays first base coach Mark Brudzinski, who has been on the Mets radar for the last week, yet to interview for the position. Joel Sherman of the New York Post also reported that the Mets were interested in 
interviewing Rangers associate manager Will Venable, but he declined to do so. Other media names mentioned include former Giants manager Gabe Kepler, Padres first base coach Ryan Flaherty, Astros bench coach Joe Espada, and 2023 WBC United States team manager Mark DeRosa, among others. The Mets will be hiring their fifth manager in the last seven years after parting ways with Buck Showalter less than a month ago. I think we kind of figured that the Mets were going to be looking external, and I think that they do have to consider the first year manager thing at this point in time just because there is that no-brainer candidate out there right now who has managing experience uh they're really going to have to have a very thorough interview process to find the right guy that fits what they're looking for and it's you know like we talked about is that you know who's going to be making the decisions is it going to be davis stearns is it going to be the ma- the manager that they hire like Who's going to have the final say? And if you're forced to use a player like Daniel Vogelbeck, like we talked about last week. So that's the thing that I'm looking at. And, you know, one of the things that I find interesting is that the Giants request interview for Bob Melvin. And before Bob Melvin went to the Padres, he was someone I really, really wanted the Mets to get. I thought, he, you know, considering what he was working with in Oakland, I thought he did a really good job. There's a guy with managing experience. I felt would have been a nice fit for the Mets. And then you see him go to a team like the Padres, who also have the very big budget that they work with, have a bunch of star players, and then fail to perform to expectations. And it's like we've seen the Mets do that already. So this time around, I'm not as interested in Bob Melvin as I was before. So uh, that's not one of the names that you mentioned up either. So I, I do find it interesting how quickly things could change, especially when it comes to managing. You know, a guy like Buck Showalter goes from being manager of the year to a guy that if you don't step down, you're going to get fired the very next year. I mean, it can be fickle like that uh, with a lot of different managers. So that that's why, to me, I think the Mets really should not rush this because this is a very important decision. You can't keep having, like I've talked about, where you have a manager for two years and they're gone. Then you get another one. Then you get another one. It would be nice, like we talked about, if you want that Astros stability, you know, you want teams that are in the playoffs every single year. I mean, you want to have the same guys in the front office, the same manager, because when you're constantly changing things, I mean, it just never works. So that's why I really want the Mets to, again, aim young. That definitely, if they're going to get a first-time manager – they got to aim young because, again, if you want a house who's got beer for a long time, it's got to be someone who could work for a long time. You know, we knew that no matter what, even if Buck Walter did have another solid season, he wasn't going to be a long-term solution. Uh, so for me, those are the main things that I'm looking at. I'm just looking for someone who's young, and I don't want the mess to rush this because they really have got to have the right guy because if it's this constant, like, two years and gone and all that, it's, it's just – I'm so tired of it. I really, really am. Yeah, Bob Melvin was uh, somebody that was seen as a possibility the last time go around, but he just went off to San Diego. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was, I was kind of turned off of of Melvin after the transition from Oakland to San Diego. It just didn't look like he was able to control like any egos in that clubhouse whatsoever with the Padres, and you really just did not see that much in Oakland and. You know, if there was like a big stage test for Bob Melvin, I mean, he really just hasn't succeeded in that sort of thing. Not really much of it being his fault in Oakland. At this point, I mean, we just really haven't seen him succeed under that big light or whatever. And uh, even though he's had some fantastic regular seasons, you know, if you're trying to contend for a World Series, you know, we've seen so far that proven. Bob Melvin has not been able to win one. So, and he hasn't been able to get a deep playoff run. And he's, I've seen him get outmanaged before. It's not like I've seen him as this perfect manager, but 
it was an option, but I just, it just doesn't look like the Mets are interested whatsoever. I, it doesn't seem like he's on whatever radar. I think it's just a name that gets popped up as someone who possibly could be available after the Padres have struggled for so long. The fact that we said this at the Stearns conference, that he was at the conference himself, said, I'm willing to hire a first-time manager, kind of gave me the inkling. I said it uh, two weeks last show or the week before. That the fact that he went out and said it publicly, like not like, oh, he talked to Heyman or he talked to Pat. He said that with a mic in front of a camera for everyone to hear. So that pretty much signaled to me, all right, he's going first time. And if he can get counsel, obviously that was connections with Milwaukee. But when he said that, it's like, okay, for me, it looked, okay, he's going to try to find his version of counsel, find the young guy that he can just connect, be symbiotic, and that be it. The fact that counsel keeps coming up and that's been ever since he didn't get an extension, that like it's just going to be, okay, let's see how long this goes. And that's his first option. And the second, obviously, to go to the first time guy is the second option. But the fact that he's more willing, it's not like, oh, it's a backup plan of, well, we're shooting for this, this, this. And then there's the first time manager. It's kind of like, hey, they're looking to see what happens with counsel, but they are kind of focused on getting that first time guy. And the names that have been out there have been the same kind of guys uh, that we've heard for years. It seems like every time, like Frank said, every time it's a coaching candidacy, the Mets fire a GM or fire a manager. It's always the same few guys' name that consistently get brought up. Thank God Eduardo Perez's name has not been brought up once because, <laughs> God, no. I do not need to hear the that voice anytime. oh, the Mets made a big decision, and I need to hear him talk about, oh, we traded for Juan Soto, oh, we traded for Mike Trout, and he needs to break the game. No. Enough is on ESPN. Leave his ass in the booth. Don't even think about it. We'll see once the official first round of interviews will start getting more. I'm surprised a few names haven't been brought up. Obviously, you saw Heyman wrote that big article in the Post. A.J. Hinch was high on that list for some reason, which I don't know if I would go there, but it's better than some. But the fact that it's kind of hopefully going to be, again, like down to Espada and those guys, and then we'll see some other bench coaches that, again, he's going young. To get, he's a younger guy. He's one of the youngest president of baseball operation people in baseball. At the time when he was hired in Milwaukee, he was younger than Ryan Braun when he took over. So he knows that he'll have a younger he looking. He's looking for the younger guy as well to build the relationship throughout the team. So again, it's just a wait and see. We'll see officially when that first round goes and see everybody yell about. Oh, well, I don't want this. Guy. I don't want Ron Washington or whatever. Some names were brought up. We'll get to that point. But again, the fact that they are looking first time. It's probably the way they're going to go. Uh, the names that you mentioned, there's a first-time manager. I can see the Mets hiring. The guy that sticks out to me, I think, is Mark DeRosa. I feel like that's a guy that I could see them doing. That's just my prediction. Uh, Mark DeRosa, there's a couple of things going for him. Number one, uh, all the different teams that he's played for. I think that's something that is always good to have. You know, the more experience and, like, experience with different organizations, different styles, I think is good. The fact that he wasn't a star player, he was a utility guy that played all over the field, wasn't great, so he could relate to a lot of players much better than the superstars can. You know, I mean, last time I see a very, very good Hall of Fame player who's a good manager. doesn't happen, and that's in any sport. And the other thing I think Mark DeRosa has going for him is his MLB Network experience being on a show every single day. It's important to be able to handle New York media and be able to have those press conferences and not make a fool out of yourself and have the media against you and the fans go against you by saying foolish things and constantly having microphones in your face every single day. I feel like Mark DeRosa would be able to handle that. And I think that's actually an underrated thing about being a New York manager that you always have to take in consideration also when you're doing these interviews. So, and you know, like we said, he coached the coached. 
the USA team. You know what I mean? There's not much managing that goes on there. But just for me as a first-year manager on the outside, I could see someone like him getting a job. I'm not saying that I would do it, but I could see that happen. That was the name that, again, that's, that's been brought up. And I'm like, don't touch him with a 10-foot stripper pole. Like, Why does it have to be a stripper pole? It, that, you can't that, just that, be a pole? That's the saying. It's, it's no, the saying. I don't it. think it is. It's something that's, that's a type of – I wouldn't say Will Pond lull Mets thing, but like, oh, let's get the TV personality. Oh, he's on MLB Network all the time. Yeah, he managed WBC. You couldn't fuck that up with that much talent. Still found a way to do it. But again, that's the name. I, I'm like, like again, with the GM last year with Eduardo Rodriguez, I was like, don't touch him. I was staying. I Stay away. Give him an interview. Because, of course, give everybody an at least. So you don't want Jessica Mendoza? Is that no, what you're no, no. That's another thing. But yeah, just stay away from. Okay, give me an interview unless he's like blows you away, which we'll never know. But that is a guy that I'm like staying away from because if it goes wrong, there is so many ways for this to be an embarrassment that it's like it could be good. I wouldn't bank on it, but if it goes wrong, there are so many ways to me just trolled and joked. Keep the baseball people that are in the game now. Would I again? Would I be mad if he got an interview? No. But I'm not taking his candidacy seriously if it's just me. When I look at external option and I look at a first-time manager, I look at two different types of first-year manager. I look at first-year manager, and then I look at Mets first-year managers. What do I mean by that? The Mickey Calloway, who was a pitching coach. The... Carlos Beltran, who was a who was just a player and has never managed before. The Luis Rojas, who was a quality control coach. Those are the type of first-year managers that I'm not looking to go after. I would like there to be a bench coach. I would like it to be someone who has actually been in the game, never was a manager before, but has been close to that certain position before. Obviously, I talked about Joe Espada. I think that would be a perfect fit. Yeah, Mark DeRosa, th there's like a, it's it's a boomer bust, I'd say, that if you were to hire someone like him, someone who I think that a lot of players respect a lot throughout the game, I think that it might fit the model a little bit better than you think of like a manager who's kind of just a yes man to a GM or a yes man to a president of baseball operations. But I, I don't I don't see any possibility where he's kind of like just on the same page of a guy like Stearns. I think there's just like a little bit of like repellent there, but it's, you know, it's obviously just been a media mention. I don't want them to hire a rookie manager. I want them to hire a first time manager if that makes sense. So rookie manager meaning that they had basically their last job had absolutely nothing to do with this job, but it's like, okay, you can strings attach a few different skills there or whatever. Mickey Calloway, he was a pitching coach and this team is built around pitching with Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler and no, that's just stupid. You know, Eric Chavez, I already talked about him. I, I think he's actually eventually going to leave for a, for a managerial job at one point. Obviously, Beltron has been a subject of debate ever since that, you know, he was fired before he got to manage a game. Um, but I think that overall, if the Mets were to hire um, someone external, they're going to hire a first time manager. It needs to be an actual first time manager, someone who has been leading up to that job and not just somebody just to be creative and be different. And like I said, the Mickey Calloway and the, you know, the Carlos Beltran, the Luis Rojas. I mean, we saw 
when they hired Terry Collins. I mean, Terry Collins was, I believe, the bench coach for somebody. Yeah, he was with like the Astros and the Angels, like in their coaching staff, stuff like that. And then I'm pretty sure. Oh, he actually he actually managed the uh, wow. He, he managed the team that uh, Yoshiyamamoto is on right now in Japan. That's cool. It needs to be somebody's young, who's adaptable. And it's just they have to see eye to eye, obviously, with David Stern. And that's literally just the number one thing. We'll see where they go in this direction, because at one point, you feel like they got to get it right somehow. It's time to beat the dead horse yet again. I am asking New York sports media to once not drop a story about this crap, okay? I'm tired of it. We all are. But earlier this week, John Heyman of the New York Post reported that the Mets at the MLB trade deadline tried to move Daniel Vogelbach, but the Mets encountered a lack of interest and they found no takers for the 30-year-old designated hitter. A few weeks ago, we learned before his resignation that ex-Mets general manager Billy Epler pushed back with a lot of resistance to keep Daniel Vogelbach in the lineup after the trade deadline, despite Vogelbach's lack of production, leaving former Mets manager Buck Showalter to start questioning why the struggling bat was still on the roster. Vogelbach is still under Mets team control through 2024, being viewed as the Mets' top candidate to be non-tendered this offseason, projected to make $2.3 million next season in ARB 3. Okay, so the Mets apparently wanted to trade Vogelbach. Does this change any view on Epler or anything? I mean, it doesn't do much. I mean, it's just another example of a player that Epler acquired who, wasn't, who didn't get the job done, so he has to get rid of him. I mean, and that was kind of the theme of what this trade deadline was about. You know, the Verlander thing didn't work out. The Scherzer thing didn't work out. Everything he did didn't work out, so he had to get rid of the guys. Vogelback was another perfect example. And to me, it makes it even more, at least for me, it gives me more reason to non-tender him. Because it's like, if no one wants him, why would I want him? You know, like, like I mean, if the other teams think, and again, and we already know the other reason why he shouldn't be on the team. We've said it every single week. I'm not doing it again. But I, I just think it gives you, like, if no one would want him and he doesn't serve value to other teams at the number he had with the team control and all that, why would you give him a raise? You know what I mean? And it's like we said, if you already have a guy internally in DJ Stewart who could take that job easily and play the field compared to Vogue just doing nothing, it, it just, I mean, it's just another example of Epler and the bad decision to get rid of Holderman for this guy and then he just couldn't could never make up for it you know i mean like we say two wrongs don't make a right and by the fact that they decided to continue playing him even though he didn't have that value it, it still just makes no sense i mean what competitive team would have wanted him and, and at the trade deadline no bum teams are trying to add a fat guy that does nothing so um does it make epler look any better eh, i guess because all he tried I try to eat salad doesn't mean I do it. So just because you mean you try didn't mean you actually got it done. And the fact that even after the deadline, he still pushed for him to be in the lineup. I'm just sick of tired. This is the last time I'm talking about this guy. I don't care if it's another topic. I don't care if he's a DFA. I'm not talking about this bat job at all again. He was useless. Epler, again, gave up a controllable reliever for him. We all know the story. He gets non-tendered, and he goes to the Dodgers, and it's 45 homers next year. We're not going to be surprised. I mean, I, I kind of would. <laughs> I mean, 40 is quite a bit. He'd have to swing the bat a lot in order for that to happen. He comes into spring training just like 50 pounds lighter. 
extra muscle. He, but the thing is, he came in this year lighter and was even worse. Was he really lighter? That's what they like, said. I mean, supposedly, right? yeah. yeah. It's hard to tell the difference, but that, that's what. They- is this is this like kind of like a you know a, a certain orange man? Six foot three, two fifteen. Like, is this? No, I, I don't know. He probably just gained it all back before the season even started. I think that, like, you look at this and it just makes you question. Once again, I'm with Buck here. Why the fuck was he still here? Like, if you were looking to trade him, if nobody wanted him, what the hell was he still doing here? I understand that they gave up on the season and whatever, but you had prospects who needed playing time. It just didn't make sense. Like, why was he still here when you were just trying to trade him? You understood that it was a mistake to trade for him. Obviously, he's going to get non-tendered and this is going to happen. But I just I just wanted to point this thing out because I feel like we're continuing to uncover a lot of clues of what happened during this 162 game season and you know we go back from all the way to the beginning of spring training let's not forget when like steve gelbs reported that like this clubhouse just felt different compared to this 2022 team that won 101 games and for some reason we're just continuing to see stories that just continue to unravel escalate daniel vogelbach if he is on the team next year it will be established that this team is not serious i i, I will 100 agree that this team is not serious you can put david stearns in front of me you can hire whoever you want but if you keep daniel vogelbach on this roster who seem like just a lovelorn of Billy Epler or of somebody who is just trying to prove himself right, there is absolutely no excuse as to why he should be here next year. And to be honest, I am so surprised that nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted 500-pound whale who does absolutely nothing, can't hit left-handed pitching, can't play a position, can't do anything. Like, nobody wanted that. The Mets are the only team that actually valued that at any one one point. This was a guy who was DFA twice. He was traded three times. He was released three times. Wow. He was making $1.5 million. Pennies compared to to Steve Cohen's wallet. You could have just cut him. You could have just DFA'd him. I understand the team wasn't competing. I still just did not understand a team that was trying to get younger. He was taking up time for Mark Vientos. He was taking up time for even Marusio, since we felt like we didn't have a position for him that was ideal besides shortstop where Lindor was taken up. Like, he still blocked the playing time and development of other young players, which when you're a rebuilding team and you're selling off, that is always supposed to be the top priority. And they were not able to accomplish that by having some of those guys on the bench for him to play. It seemed like there were so many signs where he was getting the limited playing time. He was only playing at this at this point. Buck Showalter didn't understand why he was here. You had back and forth debates. And now it says that now it said that they were trying to trade him at the trade deadline. So you had all of these stories revolving around this guy not being here, but yet he was still here it just seemed like oh well having this thing in my house it's making me sick and it's destroying everything that i own and it's disrupting everyone around me but you know what it's mine so i'm just gonna keep it for the last time and i agree with andrew this is the last time we are talking about daniel vogelbach i don't care if he shot someone he did something illegal we are not talking about this anymore. So this is also ongoing story right now that continues to escalate. And this is also a PSA 
that we are not talking about Daniel Vogelbach anymore. Unless he gets a ridiculous extension for no goddamn reason, we are not talking about Daniel Vogelbach. When he gets DFA'd, when he gets released, we will only be putting it in the rapid fire stories. No one cares about Daniel Vogelbach anymore. So in need of starting pitching, the Mets are expected to be very aggressive on the free agent and trade market this offseason. In regards to all of those options, Connor Rogers at SNY linked the possibility of Chris Sale as a low return option for the Mets rotation. Rogers noted that Boston will be bringing in a new staff with the firing of Heim Bloom and could be looking to clear some payroll. With the possibilities of this trade, including Boston retaining a portion of sales salary to get out of it for luxury tax purposes, or the Mets could take on all of sales money, but the deal could be sweetened with one of Boston's top prospects. Even though his production has slowed down recently, Sale has still been able to put up competitive numbers when he is on the field. But after undergoing two major surgeries since 2019, the lanky Southpaw has posted a 3.93 earn run average, a 3.72 fielding independent pitching, striking out 28.8% of batters in just 151 innings pitched in the last three seasons. The 34-year-old sale is owed $27 million for the 2024 season, which also includes a 2025 team option worth over $20 million. Andrew, you're the GM. Would you do something that involved somebody like Chris Sale, or are you just not touching this? No, no thank you. Uh, not, unless you're giving me Marcelo Meyer with it, no thank you. We just got rid of one of these guys who are electric when they're on the mound. The problem is not on the, they're not on the fucking mound. And the Mets need some more stability in their rotation. And like you said, they have their ace if need be in Senga. You know, I would lo obviously love them to go out and add more great elite pitching, which Chris Sale is when he's on the mound. But the fact that, yeah, it's a one-year guaranteed pretty much. It's $20 million. If they eat some of – if they eat maybe half, you could talk me into it. But, again, it's just – there's already three question marks, four, well, no, three in the rotation guaranteed. You bring him in, yes, when he's on the field, he's very productive. He's just never on the field. And, again, Chris, Chris Sale five years ago, hell yeah. If they eat enough money and they give me a sweetener, I, if he's like my number four, like if you go out and tell me and you're going to the free agent market and you're getting two more legit guys who can guarantee at least 150 innings, 160 innings, then I can be okay. We can risk it with Chris Sale because you went out and got some more stability in the rotation. Fine, you can take that risk. But the fact that, okay, this is just Chris Sale as he's my number two, yeah, I'm not doing that. Unless, I'm, again, getting a sweetener and they're eating a ton of money. And, yes, the ability of, hey, if he's good, you have the ability to bring him back next year. He's just not been the most dependable arm, and I'm tired of having these, oh, electric, elite, talented arms. They're just going to make you 12 to 5. Six to twelve starts a year, and you're never going to see him. And you got to go again back to David Peterson and Tyler McGood and getting consistent in time because these guys can't stay on the field. So again, if this is my third pitcher you're bringing in, sure, I'd be fine with it with some more stability in the rotation. If we're expecting Chris Sale, if to be Chris Sale, you're just setting yourself up for failure because he's proven it the last four years, three years. He can't. He's not dependable enough to put him in to that Chris Sale mode. So. Again, sweetener, a ton of money eaten. I'll talk. You can talk me into it, but it ain't my first choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement. There are way too many ifs for this to actually work out totally in the Mets' favor, you know, because you have 
The biggest if of all is the health. I mean, th- that's the main thing. We've seen Chris Sale of these past few years just dealing with so many different injuries that, you know, he comes back and then he's gone again immediately. And some of it, th- there's unlucky stuff like, you know, the line drive that came back at him and things like that. But it just seems like for the most part, he hasn't been able to get onto the mound. And like Andrew said, the Mets are not built like a team right now who can take the risk of adding a Chris Sale to the rotation. I mean, we- we've talked about enough with – the lack of depth that they have in the pitching right now, they can't have a guy who's such a injury liability taking up a big portion of that. And for me, if I were to do this Chris Hill thing, it would be much later in the offseason. I, I want to see what else I could do before it gets to that point. You know, what happens with the Yamamoto uh, sweepstakes? Uh, can I possibly make a trade for a Corbin Burns? Or like even Andrews talked about plenty of times, one of those pitchers in Seattle. I'd be much more in favor of that because I know that's a young upside piece. I just think with Chris Sale, this is no more of those guys who best years are behind him. Uh, you know, when he's on the field, he can do something for him again. That's when. And it's like, are the Red Sox actually going to chip in a lot of the money? Are the Red Sox going to give you a big time piece? I mean, you have so many different things that need to happen or for this to work that it just doesn't seem like it should be a top priority at all. So for me, um, if I were to do this, it would be much later on in the offseason when I have a better indication of what my pitching is like if the Mets do actually add a few quality pitchers some guys that can stay on the field and then the Red Sox are just so desperate that they will take on that money and then maybe I get some kind of young pieces out of it then sure but I think that right now the Mets got to be focused on other things I mean they have to prioritize other pieces much higher than Chris Sale right now in order for them to actually have a quality offseason and get back on the right track this is actually a little bit more conflicting um than you think it is obviously yeah 34 years old coming off of a lot of injuries you know it's chris sale who has really just not been on the mound i mean 151 innings in the last three seasons i think that if this if you were looking at this for a back-end piece to your rotation it would be a very expensive back-end piece to your rotation if you're taking on the rest of that money i personally would take on all of the Chris Sale money to see if you could get someone from Boston's farm system. But what I would do is it has to come with a pitching prospect. I'm not looking at Mayer. I'm not looking at anybody else. I'm looking at a pitching prospect they don't have to come that. along with it. And they, and they don't have that. Unless it's like Brian, Brian Bellow. Like, if it's Brian Bellow coming with it, they... Yeah, I don't even I don't even consider Bello a prospect because he's he made like he pitched most of the season already. And Heim was just like the Mets kind of all of his prospects that he brought in were bats. He really hasn't developed the pitching side when he was there. So it's been all bats, Meyer, York, Jordan, take your pick. It's all bats. There's no oh, there's a guy definitely I want. It's like same thing with other teams with Pete Alonso, like the Cubs, ain't nothing to fucking want. The same thing. There's just it's a lot of bats that play the same position. So I've been looking at there's some of them and they got some live arms there. So I mean, I wouldn't I think that if you can if you can take one of their, their mid fifteen to thir- to thirty prospects along with Chris Sale, who we all know at his best when he is healthy, can deliver you, you know, a quality outing. Let's not forget how amazing of a postseason pitcher he is. I think that somebody like, you know, Lewis Perales is somebody like that. I've seen I'm seeing right here there's another 
There's another guy, Angel Bastardo, who I kind of like here. Like, there's a few guys who got some explosive stuff that I would look at in the Red Sox farm system. Just get some kind of extra arm just to make it a little bit younger when you're bringing on an older pitcher. Um, and then you obviously have the team control in, in 2025. I... Don't think this is a bad idea, but I don't think it's the number one thing that I would do to try and bolster this rotation. But at his best, we all know how good Chris Sale can be. I'm not saying that this guy has really, really struggled. He's still, overall, his stuff has really, it really has not changed that much. He's got a little bit of a dip in velocity, but that's kind of what the Stearns thing is here for. So if you're trying to get some of these pitchers to come in here, revitalize his career from like the back end of this rotation, I would not be opposed to it. But again, like Andrew said, this can't be your number two. This can't be your number three, possibly not even your number four, because the number four and five, they need to be probably the most healthy, healthiest arms out of the entire rotation. And Chris Sale is not going to be one of those. I would obviously definitely consider doing something like this, but it has to have some kind of long-term stability coming back as well if the Mets were to take on this money. Because we all know that with Steve Cohen, the money is just the money. I think that Chris Sale still has a lot of value on the mound when he's out there, but it's definitely not the number one guy that I'm taking out there. Obviously, his, his Boston teammate, again, I've already talked about that, if you're speaking of one-year deal, that will probably be a little bit more cheaper, more than a $27 million that you possibly owe to him. James Paxton's another option, option I think, that, that would be a good back-end starter. But again, just like Chris Sale, who's been injured as much, just like James Paxton, who's been injured as much as they have been, it can't be the number one guy to put behind Senga in the rotation. Chris Sale, yeah, we're trying to get away from those old guys, but... It's all really just comes down to what the risk is, but it all just depends on what they're going to be relying him to do. And that's pretty much it. It's not like Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander, who they were relying to be their top two and lead them into the playoffs and be the aces that they have been throughout their entire career. It all just depends on what the Mets are looking to get out of Chris Sale. If they're looking to get 150 innings out of him, that's a no. Yeah, I think definitely the trade market is going to have to be a major thing. I, the Mets need to go out and sign at least one or two. But again, you have a kind of a surplus now of that you can go out and get guys. And if, it doesn't matter if, if they're going to go straight, let's look for number twos or look for threes and fours. Because there's a couple of guys you can get on crappy teams who still are young enough, team control enough, and have higher upside than going out and going out and get a Chris Sale. Again, a guy coming off a bad year who still has a crazy upside, if not maybe being a legit ace, but a number two, number three, I'm calling Kansas City and see if I can get off Brady Singer. I'm calling Pittsburgh for Mitch Keller. There are plenty of guys on the trade market that I would rather have who are more a little more dependable than Chris Sale. Again, not going to be the top game one, but you kind of already have that. And let's say you go get Yamamoto as your third starter, maybe even fourth starter, depending how aggressive these guys, depending, are going to be on the free agent market. Let's say you signed, hypothetically, Yamamoto and I'm saying Jordan Montgomery. I said Jordan Montgomery. So before the postseason, but let's just say that. Then Singer's coming in at your four or Keller, whoever, is your four with Quintana as your five. You've got depth throughout that rotation. Again, we'll see what prospect. And the, with the Royals especially, they're a horrible baseball team with one of the worst farm systems in baseball. So, and they're, again, they have Bob Witt. They're not years from being a competitive, even though in the crappy AL Central, 
they might look to move Singer with two years of team control to try to get something in that godforsaken farm system who can not speed up their rebuild, but can give them some pieces where Singer is not going to be on their timeline. By the time they're maybe even competitive in the AL Central, he's probably going to be a free agent. And Mitch Keller, who I'm not the hugest on Mitch Keller, but my number three or number four for, you know, a, a, not a horrific, kind of the Bassett type package we gave up. That's the kind of guy I could fit with two years of team control that would fit that mid rotation. If you're going out and getting, you know, hypothetically Yamamoto, or let's say for some reason they go after Snell, get a top, top guy to go in that three or four spot. The trade market should be that to save one, use some of that extra excess fat capital you have, and then use some other money to go and to fill other holes. I would, I would say that Mitch Keller would be a good pickup. Pick I mean, Frank, anybody else that you would? No, I, I do like the idea of pursuing the young guys, uh, particularly like answer for those contract, especially as you're going like we talked about so many times, like the untapped potential of maybe Mitch Keller because he is younger compared to if you pick up one of these veterans, again, you've seen the best of them. If anything, it's going to get worse for them. Whereas with the young guys, they can only get better. And if you get them at those you know good deals and with the top heavy roster that you have, it gives you that more money for the Pete Alonso extension. Or if you did want to add on to one of those corner outfielders, like we talked about a bunch of times, whether that's, you know, Jock or if, you know, Soler opts out or all these different, you know, power bats are going to be available. Taya Oscar, like if you're, because we know the Mets need pitchers as well. So if they could save money somewhere that this way they could kind of focus on that other area and still stay young, I think that'd be the perfect thing because, like we said, they need to get younger. I mean, that, that has got to be a big, big priority for this team because they were just too old last year. Um, so I, I think that pursuing the trade market would be the way to go because you're not going to find young starting pitching in free agency with the way contracts are. I mean, by the time those guys are free agents, they're not going to be the same age as if you make these trades for them. So, I mean, th- that's something that I'd really be looking at too. That's the main reason of just age just in general, I think is the reason why Yamamoto should just be so high on the list for the Mets. If they were to go out and like try and trade for somebody a lot younger, like the, the thing is, is that, we haven't seen them really trade for somebody with actual like years of control to address that rotation. I mean, you know, Chris Bassett was a pending free agent. If they had some multiple years of control, has a lot of upside. And somebody like Mitch Keller, if you're talking about Brady Singer, if you're talking about, you know, a few of these guys who you could get like some years of control of, like, you know, compared to kind of what the Yankees did with Jamison Tyone or, you know, some things where guys are here for multiple years and, you know, you can see if you can get any stability with the with them in the middle of the rotation. I think that that's something they can do. But Chris Sale is an option, and I don't think it's as bad of an option as people think it is. Is it the 100% right thing to do? No. Is it the 100% thing that I would do at the top of my list to address the pitching rotation? Absolutely not. Was this a 100% amazing Amazing move to make five years ago. Absolutely. I guess we got to finish this up. We were talking about taking on money as for like passive greatness. Obviously, everyone's saying Soto in the Padres fire. So would you take Musgrove? Because think about it. Everyone's saying, oh, they're going to move Soto to move money. What if they're looking long-term money, not just short-term money? I mean, I'm not touching Darvish. But again, if Musgrove's your three, again, not my number two. Again, you're getting, again, keep this all in the consideration. You you're going out, at least get one of Yamamoto or a top flight guy. At Musgrove is your three, and they eat some of the money. I did just this just ideas being thrown on the top of my head because I could see stuff. Everyone thinks, oh, Soto's the guy in San Diego they move. 
what if they're looking long-term books? Because they're not going to move Bogarts. not going to move Tatis. So you look not Darvish. Machado. They're probably not moving Machado. So you're looking at they have four guys in that rotation making a shit ton of money. He's better than a lot of the other options on the free agent market. I mean, I, I will give it that. Uh, and then if you could get the shiny ear playoff one, I mean, then you got, I mean, the best pitcher in the league. So at, le- at least you have that going for you. You don't have to face him anymore. He seems to do so well in uh, City Field. So All right, let's play this game. Yeah, let's, let's play that game. Would you rather want, I think that was four years of like less than $100 million for Musgrove. Look what Tom Walker just got. Look at all – this is what the p- price of pitching. Who would you rather yeah. have? At that price. Again, the, especially now the price of pitching. If Musk, again, that's the type of guy I'm keeping. Just put a pin in it. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but everyone just keep a pin in San Diego because I think that's a bomb just waiting to blow off. What's the AV in Musgrove? I think it was like, I think he's got 100, I think it's 20 million a year. So 20 some, 20 something million a year. You can check it on Spot. I don't have a computer. If it's if it's seventeen, like that's in the same range of like what Carlos Carrasco. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's so, like, would you much rather have? The only problem is term. The problem is it's four years of term. They're gonna have to go external just to build like the rest of this rotation, no matter what. If it is somebody they signed in free agency, they have to make a trade. I think that overall, the best case scenario is where they sign two starting pitchers and they trade for one. Like that's what I think that is like the ideal piece of it. And then you kind of just sort out the rest of the rotation um, as to what you have internally. We're not leaving optionable starter. We're not making that a thing. Get five fucking starters. No, I'm not, talk- I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I'm just talking about multiple five starter options. I get options. what you – yeah, but no. We've Sign seen do stuff before. Yeah. Get four starters and have Quintana be the five and then let those guys rot away in Syracuse if need. So one of the biggest question marks in the Mets lineup going into 2024 is going to be, and it will continue to be, third base with loads of internal and external options to address the position. As for those internal options. The Mets have been very cautious with the development of Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio, and Mark Vientos seeing shades of promise throughout last season. Brett Beatty was the Mets' first round pick in 2019 and has struggled so far in his major league career offensively and defensively. Ronnie Mauricio was called up this year in September, played a bit of second base and third base in the majors. Mark Vientos played a combination of first base, third base, and designated hitter throughout the year, displaying a good amount of his raw power at the plate. Now, among these three young players, the Mets also have some external options in free agency, headlined by Blue Jays third baseman Matt Chapman, along with Jammer Candelario, Gior Shella, and also veterans like Evan Longoria. Since the captain David Wright retired at the end of 2018, the Mets have had 17 players make a start at third base, where Mets third basemen are 25th in Fangraph's wins above replacement per the position. I'm going to quote something Frank said earlier in the, in this in the, in the in the pod. There are so many other holes to fill in this team. Stay internally. And obviously, would Matt Chapman be nice? Yeah, but what Matt Chapman are we getting? Are we getting the one in April or the one the other seven months of the year that didn't do dick? So, and this is the problem with Matt Chapman. And that's no fault of his own. It's not his fault. In the free agent class, it is Shohei Otani. A huge gap. And then Matt Chapman is the best offensive target left, meaning he's going to be overpaid. And how do you get in trouble? Overpaying mediocre to above average players, superstar money. He's going to get six, seven, eight years of probably anywhere from 17 to 24 million per season. Would I be mad if Matt Chapman's playing third base to the Mets on opening day? No. His vet in what I love it, yeah. 
he's hitting the market kind of at the perfect opportunity, not on the best season, because if the end of the season was just April, he'd be getting like 50 million a year. He's still one, if not the best, a top three best defensive player in baseball, especially at his position. The other options, Jaimer Candelario, a guy who had a very good season, don't get me wrong, some flukeness to it. You know, he obviously had a great opportunity with the Nationals at the beginning of the year, had played every single day, gets traded to the Cubs. And then kind of what I think, again, I think the kids need to be Ronnie, Brett, just battle out because there's so many other holes in this roster that you need to spend money on. Deep pitching, starting, rotation, DH, corner outfielders, then there's third base. You've got enough guys from the guys who've seen the big leagues. You've got McNeil, you've got Brett, you've got Ventos, you've got Ronnie. Hell, even Jet could be in that conversation at some point this year. You've got plenty of guys internally. One of them's got to grab the job by the balls. Guys for one spot. Somebody has to grab that job by the balls so you can take the other assets, the value, the money you have, which, again, we have more money than Jesus, but that doesn't mean every single position has to have a top 10 highest-paid guy in the sport. If you look at next year's trade candidacy, we remember we thought third base is one of the most loaded positions in baseball. That's kind of fallen off because look at this year's class. Obviously, Chapman and Jimer, and then you can go with your vets, Longo, Turner, whatever. Bregman's next year. I don't see Bregman leaving. Then the next guy would be Eugenio Suarez. Best free agents in the next four years. So there's no guy is going to be on the market. So if maybe Seattle, which again, I've said, my second favorite team, and I kind of have a feel for what DePoto does. I wouldn't be surprised if he moved the money for Suarez to go out and address other needs. So could that be a fit? I yelled for it two years ago, and everyone called me a nut job, and look what happened. So maybe does you call Jerry and try to persuade something there but it kind of has to stay internally because either you're going to overpay by an ungodly amount or you're going to again go use assets that you could be using for pitching so it just makes sense you've got too many guys internally someone has to take the job wrong with it. i'm in agreement in this the sake of you have a much better chance of ronnie marusio being your third baseman and being a productive effective player for you a positive player on the field compared to if you went in-house for starting pitcher. If you try to use some of your guys from inside to be one of your starters, now you can get it done. And the same goes for the outfield. I feel like that is, of all the holes that the Mets have, the one that's easiest for them to solve, like you said, is third base. So, again, I just think that if third base was the only position left, then maybe you could take a, a chance on Chapman. But with all the other things that still need to be done, I feel like – I. I still want to see Ron Rusio get a fair chance just in general. I mean, whether it's third base, whether it, like we said, it's DH, are you going to trade him? I mean, they still have got to decide what they're going to do with this guy, because again, he's not going to play shortstop. I mean, it's something that, you know, in, in the Meyer leagues, they tried all these different positions with him. I, I think he profiles more as a third baseman than he does a second baseman, that kind of frame. So uh, I'd be much more willing to try him out there and see what happens. Uh, I think that, Again, offensively at their best, Ronnie Marusio fits his lineup more than Brett Beatty does as far as their strengths and weaknesses. So to me, I, I just think there's more value in Marusio. And he's a guy I really want to see what he can do. And I want him to play. You know, you have three general options of guys we've seen play third base before who are young, they're controllable in Beatty, Mauricio, 
and Vientos. I need the Mets to do something at this third base position that doesn't involve them just pushing Luis Guillorme in spring training and being a possible competing for, oh, Luis Guillorme is going to take your job if you don't step this up. Because if the Mets had a bunch of third base options, and obviously all three of these guys are not going to be in the lineup at third base, you can't have three third basemen in one lineup. I think that they need to add somebody this offseason who, at their best, would start for you. And they could also come off the bench. And that could be somebody that you bring in on a one-year deal that could possibly... I know you just said Evan Longoria, but I think Gio Urshela is a better possibility. He's, he's tried. He, again, another one of these fluke guys. Went to the Yankees, had one good fluke year in Baby Park. I'm not... Would I hate it? No, but But again, he pushes a guy like yes, Brett Beatty. That is he true. He pushes a guy like Ronnie Mauricio. Like, that's the thing. They need to bring in somebody, but it also can't be someone who... At their worst, who's Evan Longoria, who's 39 years old or 38 years old, he ain't going to do anything. It needs to be somebody with actual upside. Gio Urshela, what is it, 32? Like, at your best, like, you could get 15 home runs, from, home runs, 20 home runs from him as a third baseman at his best. But what I'm saying is that you need somebody in there to push one of these young guys because Luis Guillorme ain't going to do that. Like, Luis Guillorme, if they keep him next year, like, if he comes back, which I hope not, he's not going to be the one, oh, I'm catching bats, bats in spring training, I'm coming for your job, right? It's not going to be like that. They need a veteran there, right, who is better than Eduardo Escobar to push somebody, right? And I think that I think that Gio Urshela would be a good piece to that. Obviously, I would not go after Matt Chapman at this point, to be honest, with all the uncertainty we have in the outfield right now. Like, I think that that's what you have to address in free agency the best. But they do need to bring in somebody in that infield who is, whether it's a veteran or has somewhat of upside, could bring in a one-year prove-it deal, could decide the future, one of the prospects that we have here. Now, I don't think Mark Vientos is in the, in the running for third base. I, I don't want to see him at third base. But I really want to see somehow them try to establish something at third base of whether someone's going to take the job or run with it, or we're going to have to bring in a veteran to take that and be a possible, you know, part-time player behind them. Because, you know, Ronnie Mauricio, we still haven't seen much from him, and that's not really much to his fault. But Brett Beatty, I know sure as hell he ain't my third baseman on opening day. I know sure as hell I would not be comfortable with that because he was god-awful. So... They need somebody there who still has a lot left in the tank. I understand that Gio Urshela is coming off of some injuries, coming off of this or that, but if there is somebody that can come in there who also wants a starting job as well that they could sign on a one-year prove-it deal, Gio Urshela could be one of those guys you could bring in. Yammer Candelario, I think that he wants a guaranteed starting job, personally. I, don't, I would not go that direction, but I would go internally for third base because, again, I can't deal with the plugging in of prospects when they haven't proven anything at the major league level when you're trying to be a competitive team. It just cannot happen. I understand you have the upside of all these guys, but none of them have taken the job and run with it. The only prospect that has taken the job and run with it is Francisco Alvarez. That is your catcher on opening day. As for Beatty, Mauricio, and Vientos, we still have yet, they still have yet to prove anything, even though I like one of them more than the other. They still need to bring in somebody who could be a starting caliber player to possibly push them out 
and push them to that next limit because they need just they need something at that third base position in order to try and bring out the best in some of these young players. And it's a one year deal. I would not be opposed to that. At one point, you just need to you need to get somebody who does have something left in the tank, who yeah. has something to prove. And I think that Gio Urshela is one of those types of players. Matt Chapman would be somebody that if you have an actual hole, you don't have any internal op, you don't have anything. Like you have currently, if your starting third baseman on the depth chart was Luis Guillorme right now, that's when you go after Matt Chapman. But they have three prospects who could possibly play third base. And, you know, but I would love to still bring in somebody who, you know, like Gio Urshela, who could come off the bench, who also could start batting eighth, batting ninth in this lineup at his best, right? So I don't know. I think that this is a position that is going to be a very pivotal point. It's It's been for a while, but obviously with the younger guys coming to the major league level, it's going to be a little bit more of a deciding factor of who's got it and who is going to be a future of this, who's going to be a future piece of this team. I mean, we, we talked about Ronnie Mauricio for a long time, and we've talked about Brett Beatty for a long time. He's been hyped up so unnecessarily i don't want to see them rely on the prospects to get the job done i want to see them see something from the external market in case you don't see these young players take the next step in their career let's get into the viewer questions for those of you who are watching and listening if you guys want to send us a question make sure to click the link in the description fill out our form with your name, your Mets-related question, and it could be featured on the next episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast. This one is from Butch Husky, who I believe was a, a legendary player for the Mets during the dark periods of their franchise. Best and worst move by Billy Epler. Okay, this is gonna this one might take a little bit longer than <laughs> okay. Sanga, yeah. I mean, try to be different. Tommy Fam. Tommy Fam was okay. I the the Rayleigh trade because Keyshawn hasn't burned you yet. I mean, I would I would throw after what happened this past week, the Scherzer trade into there. I mean, after he's just looking, he's just not the guy anymore. I mean, he gets paid so much money, and you know when you put him in the big moment, he can't come through anymore. And again, I'm not the highest on Luis Angel Acuna. I mean, there were some other Rangers prospects I would have rather taken a chance on. But if he pans out to anything close to what he's projected, I mean, that that's a massive steal right there because Scherzer's given them nothing. It's kind of depressing that Billy Epler just turned out to be a better seller than he was a buyer. Yeah. And the fact that you're a better seller than buyer um, on a big market like New York, that's... Uh, you know, that's one of your deal breakers. Well, bad moves. I mean, there's just way too many of them. Um, yeah. The fat guy that will be left unnamed, we're, again, we're not mentioning him ever again. The Darren Ruff trade, yeah. obviously. That, I think that I was, think, that's I one of the, I think that's, that's one of the, I think that's one of the worst trades in Mets history. In yeah, that, that, and there's been, more. that's saying a lot in terms of value. I mean, you'll never get me to defend Bill Morton if I signing still. I mean, I, <laughs> I still just felt like, that money could have been used elsewhere. I, I just don't understand it. Well, I mean, what are they going to do with him this year? Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's a two-year deal, just a don't love it. I mean, what he is. Just a bag of catchers. Not a bad catcher, rate. Yeah. Like, all the pitching they need, the outfielders they need, like, to, uh, $10 million for a backup catcher, that's crazy. The dead rough was hard because what bothers me is they purposely went to him mostly for the fact that it was multiple years, but when the guy is 38 years old, that's not a good thing. Like, they got so like, oh, we can't be a rental, can't be a rental, that they got rough. It's like, they started days, so having multiple years is not a good thing. 
It was just crazy. I thought you said Nervaez was 38. I was like, holy shit. No, no, no. Did no, really do rough. that? Oh, my God. No, no, for rough. I mean, th- that one is tough, especially the fact that you lost some pitching pieces that you had so little to begin with. Uh, the fact you got rid of some of them. And then, of course, J.D. Davis turns out to, you know, get it going again. I mean, it was just bad from so many different, just for so many different reasons. Uh, re-signing Adam Adovino is something I would definitely put in there. I didn't yeah, like well, that. Yeah, this, this, um, this second year, I'm, I'm very... I was skeptical from the beginning with that right. and kind of ran with it. I'd say that the Quintana signing was really good, if you're talking yeah. about good. I think that for value, backing up the rest of the rotation, especially with how dreadful the rotation was before... He came back, and I'd say that long-term, the Marte signing is is obviously just going to be continue to be a, a, an issue because um, we don't know what we're going to get from him, and that's just after year two. But yeah, there, there's there's tons of options you can put in there, but like if the, I would just say the very best and the very worst, I would go with Senga as the best one, and the very worst would be the Darren Ruff trade, I think, yeah. overall. Yeah, I think so, too. So we are going to play a game called Guess That Met. So I have 10 questions or clues regarding to a certain Met. We have Andrew versus Frank. They will write down their guesses in silence, and then we will tally them all once we're done. Who gets to win? The winner gets nothing. Here we go. So number one, this Mets outfielder went on to win the NL MVP award three years after the Mets traded him to the Padres. Some of these are difficult. Some of them are obvious. I would say there's a there's a decent mix. Some old motherfucker. Uh, who the fuck won MVP with the Padres? My plan trying to play that game. This is probably one of the hard ones because there is kind of a a sense of misdirection in this one. I'm trying. Who the fuck won MVP with the Padres? I thought I'm trying to play this game. The fuck won? The Padres don't have a lot of award winners because they sucked for so long. Number two, the Mets signed this Venezuelan WBC star reliever from 2006 to a three-year deal in 2008 in free agency worth over $35 million. From Venezuela, pitched in the WBC, gave him a lot of money. That money thing's throwing me off. I, I thought I had a guy, then he said he got paid a shit ton. I'm like, motherfucker. Three years, $37 million. In 07. In 08, right? In 08. They paid him in 08. He was a star in 06, the WBC team in Venezuela. Number three, this Mets reliever played a 21-year career, signed with the Mets as a free agent at age 40, and pitched a career high of innings in relief for the Mets in 2013. Oh, fucking Christ. He was an old fuck. We love our old fucks. That narrows it down, doesn't it? That narrows it down to absolutely fucking... There's actually a lot of people. The longevity. Can I ask for another hint? I think if it... Um... Was he drafted by the Mets? He was not drafted by the Mets. Okay, so it's not who I thought it was. Okay. Wrong old fuck. What a fucking 2013 dark ages. Dude, there's so many options there. And he pitched a shit ton. A lot. I'm pretty sure it was like 75 innings out of the ball. (laughs) At 40 years old. Number four. In 2016, the Mets traded highly regarded prospect Dilson Herrera to Cincinnati for this all-star lefty power anchor. Okay, thanks for everyone. At least we each each of us going to get one point. Yeah, that's locked in next. (laughs) See, I told you, some of these are easy. Some of them are hard. Somebody's like, let's just go to baseball reference. How many, who played a third of an inning with the Mets? 
That's who we Yeah. Do. Number five. This Mets pitcher made his MLB debut for the Mets at age 19 after being drafted fifth overall by the Mets two years prior. Mets don't rush prospects. Age fuck? 19. Youngster. Unless, this is a comp- unless you got some motherfucker just curveball coming. Think I got it. I can't say. I don't think I can really say anything like as a yeah. joke because it would just give it right away. Right away. <laughs> Number six. This Mets starting pitcher was originally signed as a first round pick by the Braves before the contract was voided due to collegiate ineligibility as his signing rights were won by the Mets in a lottery drawing. He was originally supposed to be a Brave. Yeah. He was originally a Brave. The Mets beat the only time the Mets beat the Braves. The one time the Mets had the upper hand on the Braves. All right, number seven. This Mets infielder won three consecutive gold gloves in his first four seasons as a big leaguer. Defense. Who the fuck plays defense with this team? Three consecutive gold gloves, an infielder. Some say he was the greatest to do it at that position. Most of them are wrong. I can't believe we got Wilfredo Tovar in this game. That's great. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> yeah, he was a second baseman. He didn't have the range for that. Well, he played short in the dark ages. He played short in like 2014, 2013. He played that shit. And then 2022. Number eight. This switch hitting outfielder was drafted by the Mets 14th overall in 1973 before being traded to the Rangers for Ron Darling. This guy also came back to win an 86 Mets title, re-signed with them. Maybe he's on the 86 team, right? Where's the poster at? Uh... <laughs> traded for Darling. I didn't realize this would be so challenging. I'm sorry. I... I apologize. Number nine. This pitcher was traded to the Mets as a rookie from Kansas City and went on to take part in the Yankees' three-peat of World Series titles in 1998, 1999, and 2000. All right, final one. Number 10. This former Mets reliever was credited with the blown save in the infamous Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. Ball went under Billy Buckner's legs, but it wasn't his fault. Someone screwed up. Who was it? Wait, so it was a Red Sox pitcher or the Mets pitcher? It was a Red Sox pitcher, but he was a Met. So let's review these answers. Let's see how many you guys got. This Mets outfielder went on to win the NL MVP award three years after the Mets traded him to the Padres. Andrew, what'd you put? put Kevin Mitchell. Okay. Frank? George Foster won an MVP. MVP with the Reds, yeah. Met, that, he was that, MVP instead of Met. No, that is the so, answer, yeah. Because you threw me off when you, had to, when you say win it with the Padres, yeah. The correct answer is Kevin Mitchell. Damn, wow. That was right. That's crazy. All right. Yeah, he won it with the Giants. He was yeah, traded he to the Padres. Tie, yeah, he tied with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Him and Daryl. Number two, the Mets signed this Venezuelan WBC star reliever from 2006 to a three-year deal in 2008 in free agency worth over $35 million. I'm going to go with a guy that's very similar, a big Anaheim Angel in K-Rod. That was my answer, too, because I think that was the year the Mets spent all that money, and he was Venezuelan, so I also had Francisco Rodriguez. <laughs> and he was Venezuelan, that is correct. Francisco <laughs> Rodriguez. I don't know why I felt like the conflict was bigger than that. It also, is it bad the first thought I said was Duaner Sanchez? But then I'm like, eh, <laughs> then you said a lot <laughs> no. of money. No, he was already like, on the bets. He, you know, he said six, a lot of money. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. He wasn't there when they needed him, though. Yeah, I know. Number three, this Mets reliever played a 21-year career 
signed as a free agent at age 40, and pitched a career high of innings in relief for the Mets in 2013. Dark Ages Mets. Andrew, what do you got? Fucking clue. I thought originally it was going to be Isring Housing, but it's not. I'm just going to say, because he looked 40 years old, I'm going to go Manny Acosta. Manny Acosta, okay. Yeah, there were so many old Mets to pick from. I just took Kyle Fonsworth. I was like, this man. Dad, dad motherfucker, yeah. Both of those are really good guesses. <laughs> the correct answer is Latroy Hawkins. Oh my yeah, God. Oh yes, God. So many, there were so many old Mets at that time for pitching. It was insane. There were so many choices. 2013 is a oh. year to forget for the New York Mets. Let's just say that. Number four. In 2016, the Mets traded highly regarded prospect Dilson Herrera to Cincinnati for this all-star lefty power anchor. Frank? Jay Bruce. <laughs> you got Jay Bruce? No, I got, uh, what's it called? I got your NSS, but I'm kidding. Jay Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Jay Bruce. That is the correct answer. Can you think about it? It was almost Brandon Nemo. Like, just, just think about yeah. that. They almost traded Brandon Nemo for Jay Bruce. Oof. Well, the thing is, is that Bruce Bruce didn't play so far back in the outfield. Yeah. So, like, when you think about it. All those dunks in front of You know, of it may have been the better, the better decision. Number five, this Mets pitcher made his major league debut at age 19 after being drafted fifth overall by the Mets two years prior. Andrew? Is that the choo-choo Nolan Express or Nolan Ryan? Okay. I, I had Doc because I, I knew he pitched young, but I wasn't sure exactly how young so I went with Doc. All right. Doc Gooden is the correct oh, answer. 19 yeah. years old. And then it all went to shit. All to cocaine. See, I was going to make some drug references. Yeah, I was going to do some stupid shit, but it was just going to give it away. So I just, I remained quiet. Number six, this Mets starting pitcher was originally signed as a first round pick by the Braves before the contract was voided due to collegiate ineligibility as his signing rights were won by the Mets in a lottery drawing. Yeah, I really, I totally blanked on this one. I, I had nobody. <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone who was supposed to be a Brave that ended up being a Met. From draft. Can I say can I say the greatest pitcher in Mets history? Is that the answer, Mr. Tom Terrific? Tom Seaver is the correct answer. Yes. Dang, Tom Seaver. Wow. He was originally supposed to be a, a brave. brave. Isn't that just that's weird, isn't it? It's weird to think about. But uh the Braves, you know, they always have bad luck, right? Bad luck merchants. It screwed him over. Okay. Number seven. This Mets infielder won three consecutive gold gloves in his first four seasons as a big leaguer. Andrew. Oh, Ray Ardonez. Frank. I went Robin Ventura. He's got a lot of gold on that resume. Mm, Ray Ardonez is the correct answer. As a Met, three consecutive gold gloves. I think Ventura had... He almost had three consecutive as a Mets, but it wasn't the beginning of his career, though. Yeah, he was in the Rookie of the Year race... And then I just don't, I don't think he was like, he didn't play enough. Like he didn't have enough innings or something, but then he did win three consecutive in his second, third and fourth year. Number eight, this switch hitting outfielder was drafted by the Mets 14th overall in 1973 before being traded to the Rangers for Ron Darling. Andrew? Do a guess out. I'm going to say we drafted his kid and he's currently a Long Island Ducks legend. I'll go Lee Mazzilli. Frank? Yeah, I, I, I had no one on this. Lee Mazzilli is the correct answer. You are on quite
quite a streak. I I didn't you you seemed like you were very confused. And then number nine, this pitcher was traded to the Mets as a rookie from Kansas City and went on to take part in the Yankees three-peat of the World Series titles, 1998, 1999, and 2000. Frank? David Cohn was my guy. Andrew? Yeah, Mr. David Ice Cream Cone. David Cohn is correct. And as we all know, he also has a Perfect game, but not in a Mets uniform. Did you know he's an ESPN happen. announcer? Did I did know that. That's crazy, isn't it? That's like Tom's River, New Jersey, Todd Frazier level of information. Final one, number 10. This former Mets reliever was credited with the blown save in the infamous Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. Andrew. I'm going to go Mr. Bob Stanley. Bob Stanley, Okay. Frank? Yeah, I just remember Buckner. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we won. That's all that matters. I don't give a fuck about the Yeah. I just remember the hitter, the base runners, and the first baseman. Couldn't tell you who the pitcher was. Irrelevant. Okay. Well, he was not on the mound when they lost, and his name is Calvin Chiraldi. Chiraldi. He was traded yeah. to the Red Sox for, I believe, Bobby Ojeda before that season began there we go okay so i'm gonna try and tally this hold on one two three four okay so frank you have four andrew has one two three four five six seven so seven to four andrew it's your victory so say what you can for 10 seconds who would you like to thank? I'd like to thank my Rhino. I'd like to thank Mountain Dew, Chick-fil-A, uh, Will Ospreay, and about it. Okay. <laughs> Rapid fire stories. The Mets have placed six players on outright waivers. Anthony Kay, Vinny Natali, Michael Perez, Rafael Ortega, Jonathan Arauz, and Danny Mendick will all become free agents if they clear waivers to create 40-man roster space going into the offseason. The Mets have fired three veteran scouts, Joseph Cowell, Pat Jones, and Eddie Bain. Bain worked in amateur scouting. While Cowell and Jones worked in pro scouting, a fourth scout, Chad McDonald, also stepped aside for personal reasons. Mets shortstop Francisco Lindor has been nominated for the NL Gold Glove at his respective position alongside other nominees, Dansby Swanson and Ezekiel Tovar. Lindor has won the award twice in his career, and this is the fifth time he has been nominated. Former Mets manager Davey Johnson is among eight nominees by the Complementary Baseball Era Committee for Managers, Executives, and Umpires for the 2024 Hall of Fame class. Johnson was the manager of the infamous 1986 Mets team that won the second and latest World Series title in franchise history. Former Mets pitcher Luis Avilon has retired from baseball. Avilon spent one year in 2019 with the Mets and played for six other teams across a 10-year career. Speaking of another retirement, former Mets pitcher Trevor May has retired from baseball this week, capping off a nine-year career. The 34-year-old May spent two years with the Mets from 2021 to 2022 before pitching one more season with Oakland this year. Parting words for episode number three. 30, you can now watch an episode of this podcast for every day of a month. That's crazy. Whatever. Michael Conforto obviously comes to mind. Joely Rodriguez, we can talk about him. Uh, Rafael Ortega recently. Who else can we put there? Thought I, I had one before the show. Fuck. Who the hell was it? Dark Ages. Shit. David Robertson wore 30, right? Robert. Yes, Robert. that's right. David Robertson did wear 30. Jeez. All of these awful, awful players stealing Michael Conforto's number. Parting words is let's go 
Diamondbacks, because we do not want to see yet another NL East team in that World Series that is not the Mets. Let's go Arizona. Figure it out. Make that comeback. You got it even. Now you're down. Just got to go do it again. Go out again. Snake gang. See what you got. You know, you're going in the, the hell that is Citizens Bank Park. It's going to be loud. Just wear earplugs. It's pretty good. Just do that. You know, you can't hear them. And then you hit, you hit fat nukes and you can flip them off. It's great. So get it back. You know, you're not going back to the good thing. The Phillies will not be celebrating in the pool. That They already had that planned after O2. They thought, oh, we're going to celebrate in the pool. You're not celebrating in the pool, fat ass. No pools party for you. What fat ass are you referring to? Uh, Tywin Walker. <laughs> Again, we're just waiting now to see what the next move is, pretty much, for the Mets and the future of this franchise that hangs in the balance of the hands of David Stearns, who has been talked about for the last three years as a possible executive. And now he is finally here. Um, but in terms of the postseason... Kyle Schwarber's a freaking beast. Why didn't we sign him? What, 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 what was against that? Anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in, listening. For those of you on Premiere, for those of you on Playback, we'll see you guys for episode 31, which will be the infamous Mike Piazza episode. We will not have anything special for it, but I'm just going to mention Mike Piazza because that was his number, number 31, in case you're new here. Let's go, Mets. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>